This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. In the Parshat Vayishlach, where Yaakov is finally going home. Yaakov is going home after 20 years with his uh, beautiful father-in-law. I'm, I'm being ironic here, sarcastic. His amazing, cheating father-in-law, Lavan. And he's going back. He left penniless. He left, uh, he left his father's house laden with goods. His nephew, Eliphaz, the son of Esav, the Midrash says, robbed everything from him. He's left Eretz Israel penniless with his staff. As he says, Kiba Makli, Avarti I left crossing the Jordan with just my staff. And now I have two camps. It was interesting. Someone. Uh, this uh, this Monday had an aliyah. He's an old man, he's an aliyah. And he tells me, this aliyah was very moving for me because my parents were Holocaust survivors. They came to America with nothing, shit on their backs. And today, really, I have a large family and I can say the same thing as Yaakov. I came here with penniless and today I have two machanot, two camps. All of us, bless us all. Uh, all of us, all B'nai Israel should have, should say the same idea that we left penniless and now today I have two camps, Baruch Hashem. We should all be blessed like Yaakov is blessed. And we are called B'nai Israel. we are called the children of Israel like Yaakov we're going to talk about. And the women are called Beit Yaakov, the house of Jacob. So Yaakov is our main forefather. He's a, it's interesting because we don't think about Yaakov as the main forefather. He was the main forefather. Why is he the main forefather? We're going to talk about tonight with Rabbi Hashem. He was the one who fought the angel and won. <laughs> How do you beat an angel? How do you fight an angel? We're going to talk about tonight. It's rather shit. So what happened? So Yaakov's on his way back. He's, got, he's very, very, very split. So first thing he does is he sends messages to his brother, who is outside Israel. His brother was living in Seir, which was a place, a uh, different place, or later on it's called Edom in the south of Israel, southern part of Israel, Negev. And uh, he was out of the way. He didn't have to send messages to uh, his brother. In fact, the, uh, the Midrash says something very strange. The Midrash says, if you have a dog, and the Midrash is based on Tassel Gemishle, I'm going to just talk about it very quickly. The Mishle, Pasuk Mishle says in chapter 26, verse 17, you know, we, we learned Mishle a few, a few, oh, it was a year ago, a year and a half ago, we went through Tanakh a little bit. And over there, Shlomo Melech is in his greatness, his greatness that says, don't get involved in a quarrel which is not yours. If you get involved in a quarrel that's not yours, it's like machazik It's like grabbing hold of a dog's ears. Imagine. Imagine a person grabbing hold of a dog's ears. The dog will never forgive that guy. The dog will remember that guy's smell and come after that guy. You cannot hold a dog's ears indefinitely. So a dog's chasing after you. The worst thing you can do, Gertrude says, is, is pull the dog's ears. Especially leave sleeping dogs alone. This is exactly where that saying is based on. Leave sleeping dogs alone. Imagine a dog is sleeping. You go up to the dog and you pull both his ears. Not just one ear. You pull both his ears. And the rabbis say over here, Esav is sleeping. Esav is far away. Esav forgot about you. He's not thinking about you right now. Don't pull Esav's ears. Yaakov, you made a big mistake. Let me address this. Yaakov, you know, pulled Esav's ears. He pulled the dog's ears. Can you imagine? 
So Shlomo Melech warns us, don't get involved in a quarrel that doesn't involve you. And in order to stimulate a person's mind, he gives this parable, this parable of a person pulling a dog's ear. Now, when you think about that parable, you know, it's interesting because to couch wisdom in parables takes wisdom. And it, the parable has to speak to you. Shlomo Melech says, if you get involved, compares it, get involved in, a, in an argument that doesn't belong to you, doesn't involve you. It's like taking a dog and pulling its ears. You're getting, you're going to make big trouble. You're stirring up the pot for yourself. The dog's going to attack you. It's going to blow back on you. There's going to be blowback. So to grab onto the dog's ears that scared you, that's very foolish. It's a decision you'll get because you're stuck now. You're stuck. The moment that you let go of his ears, he's going to be infuriated. He's going to be even worse. And sooner or later, you're going to have to let go. And that's the picture Shlomo Melech wants us to consider. If you're ever in, in, in tempted to stick your nose into an argument that doesn't involve you, it's more than your nose, putting your nose where it doesn't belong. It's a nose that's going to get bitten. And not just a little bite, the bite of a wild dog. That's the picture that Shlomo Melech wants to give us. And when learning Mishle, we have to utilize the lessons of the mashal, this parable. Mishle is parables. Uh, proverbs, they call it in English, but it's, par- it's all about parables and proverbs, yes. Even though what's important is the, what is the parable telling us, the parable itself is important. So it's painting us a picture, you're going to get damaged. If you get involved yourself in problems that belong to you, you're going to get damaged. And a person shouldn't scorn that. It may come in handy someday. And a person should be keep away. Keep away from debates, kind of, discussions, arguments, fights that don't involve you. Now, every case is different, obviously. And, you know, Yaakov, you know, one of his great things was he was the best educator of all the forefathers. Why? How do we know? Because all his children came out successful. And I mean successful. They're all part of the tribes. They're all part of B'nai Israel. All of us are descended from the children of Yaakov. So he was successful. Abraham Avinu lost one son, Ishmael. Yitzhak loses one son, Esav. Yaakov is different. He has all his children on Sadiqim in a sense. All successful. So when you see this is different now, when you stick your nose, which kind of quarrel do you stick your nose in? When you see your children fighting. Now this is really involves Yaakov. We're going to talk about it in the next few weeks, how Yaakov's children fought. Yosef was thrown out. Yosef was thrown in a pit. Yosef wanted, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to sell him as a slave. Anyway, children have to learn to get along. This way, Yaakov, his family, everyone in the end, they got along. In the end, Yaakov's family was united. Yaakov dies at peace, knowing his children. Shema Yisrael, hero Israel, that's Yaakov. Listen, Israel, your God is our God. Shem Hashem is Echad. We believe in the same God. You believe in all the children united. Children have to learn to get along. If you see a kid's fighting, the parent has to get involved. Even though they'll pull the dog's ears, yeah, but over here there's some cases where you have to get involved. And especially young children, we have to teach them very early age. Children don't fight. And children are always fighting, they're jealous of each other. And talk to them about shalom. Tell them they are hinei Nothing's more beautiful in God's eyes than uh, children getting along. Everyone has to get along. Siblings got to get along. How do you do this? And the answer is in the Shema. The trick is you're just going to repeat and repeat and repeat. Children don't learn for the first time. Children learn after repetition of bagging them nonstop. My mother used to bug us nonstop. Brush your teeth, brush your teeth, you brush your teeth. <laughs> Just by repeating and repeating, the green eventually goes in. So you must get involved because your house is the place where you train them for life. If you train them to get along in the house, 
they'll be able to get along later with their wives, with their mechutanim, with their in-laws, with their business partners, with their employers, with their employees, with everyone else. So you must talk and talk and talk. Because sometimes it goes into the kid's head. Chayim, you should love your brother. To him it's a joke, love your brother. Smack, he smacks his little brother. Keep getting involved, keep speaking to your children. Always about shalom, achdut, peace and unity. After a while it will penetrate, it goes in. And even with adults, if you're capable of pouring cold water on a situation, calming the participants, these are massive mitzvot. A person gets rewarded in this world and the next world. So it's a tremendous mitzvah. If you can, make peace, get involved. If you can't make peace, don't get involved. There's certain things you never get involved with, and that is a quarrel where you cannot make peace. Don't get involved. Don't take sides to neighbors, to people in the shul. So if you're a good peace, peacemaker, get involved. If not, keep out of it. Sometimes it's an injustice being done. A wicked person committed injustice, an innocent person, you're the only one who can help. Let's say you're going to the street at night and you see someone being mugged and you can call the police, you can do something, get involved. Just call the police. But sometimes don't get involved. And that's the case. We have to use our brains a little bit. I should give us brains to use our brains. And in the house, the husband and the wife has to make use of this advice. Don't pull a dog's ears. Now, I don't want to call the husband or the wife a dog. But what it means is don't cause mahlokit. Don't cause fights in the house. How many fights did they happen in the house? Because small things, you didn't talk to me nicely, you didn't say hello to me nicely, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't, there are small things that you know, get built out of proportion. I knew a family that broke up. Why? Because he never covered the toothpaste. It became such a big thing. He never covered the toothpaste. You know, men are, you know, one guy would just throw his towel on the bed and his wife really got very upset. You know, putting the towel uh, on the bed, uh, these things blow up and these are small things, don't pull the dog's ears, don't make something big out of something small and that's a great admonition of Shalom, uh, Shalom Menech, in all areas of life, don't grab onto the ears of a dog, you get more and more embroiled, you get yourself into lots of trouble and this is exactly what the rabbi said imagine the Midrash hey, Yaakov, you made a big mistake, you know why, don't pull a sleeping dog's ears Esav is far away. Esav is not bothered by you. You're going back to Israel. You're not going to be close to Esav. Don't get involved. Don't put his ears. Wow, wow, wow. So what happens? We're going to see. Okay, let's see. So Yaakov says, Rashi tells us, he does three things. He prepares himself with three things. And we see over there, a person should not just pray, but also do something. You've got to be practical. Don't rely on miracles. Never involve. Never rely on miracles. Yaakov does three things. What does he do? He sends messengers with gifts. He sends presents. He knows Esau loves presents. And that's one of the big differences we have to talk about between Esau and Yaakov. Esau was a man of this world. Esau loved this world. Esau wanted Olam Hazer. He wanted this world. He never wanted the next world. He wanted this world. How do we know? He was prepared to sell his spiritual birthright for a bowl of soup. He was prepared to sell his next world for a bowl of soup, the spiritual birthright of Abraham, Isaac. He's prepared to sell it for cheap. How much? A bowl of soup. How many Jews today sell their spiritual birthright? You see them in McDonald's for a hamburger. Sell your spiritual birthright for a hamburger. Sell your spiritual birthright. I don't know. Work on Shabbat. I don't know. It's all spirit. A person sells their spiritual birthright for cheap. Esau was that kind of person, willing to sell his spiritual birthright for cheap for a bowl of soup. I mean, that's 
hard to imagine. You know, if we put things in that perspective, we can't understand what Esau was thinking. And, and but the truth is, Esau says himself. I'm going to die anyway. What difference does it make? Spiritual birthright. I'm living for this world and I know I'm going to die. I can't take it with me. And therefore, I'm going to enjoy myself to the max right here, right here for the here and now. Give me the soup and don't bother me about the next world. I don't want the next one. I don't care about the next world. I'm not willing to think about it. So farsighted. You know, it's interesting because Esau was called Asui. For the word Asui, he was ready-made. Ready-made means what? I want it here and now. I'm ready-made. I want it, and I want it right now. I'm ready-made. Hey, Yaakov is very strange. Would you call your son Yaakov? I would never call my son Yaakov. Well, maybe today, because Yaakov, <laughs> named after Yaakov. But if my son came out holding the heel of his older brother, I wouldn't call him a heel. Would you call your son a heel? Think about it. How do people call their sons a heel? So why is a heel? Why is he called a heel? Why did his father and mother call him a heel? And the answer is, the heel is the end of the body. Yaakov Vino is an end person. What does that mean? He's willing to sacrifice the here and now for the future. A very important perspective. There's Esau who's ready made. I want it and I want it now. And there's Yaakov who's thinking, I want it, you know. I want this world as well, but I want the next world more. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give Esau my soup, my tasty soup. And we need to sacrifice the soup for his brach, for the brach, for the, for the next one. I want the spiritual blessing. I want my father's spiritual blessing, not just the physical blessing. I want the spiritual blessing. I wanted to work seven years and eventually 14 years, imagine. 14 years of my life for my spiritual mate. I'm willing to give up 14 years of my life, not just 14 years, also day and night. We don't really realize Yaakov worked day and night. The shepherd's job is day and night. You gotta watch the sheep in the day, you gotta watch the sheep at night. Just take catnips, yeah, little, little breaks to sleep a little bit. But And the night is cold, as he says to Lavan at the end of last week's parasha. I work day and night for you. I got frostbite at night. It's not cold in the, in the Middle East winter. It's cold and it's rainy and it's uh, sometimes you got. A little bit of frost, and there's frost in your shine. There's frost every night, every night. There's a lot of dew in your shine, Baruch Hashem. So you see the frost in the night, in the winter. It gets frosty a little bit. Um, but so Yaakov Vida says, yeah, he worked hard. He was sacrificed 14 years of his life to get his spiritual mate, Rachel. He worked 14 years for Rachel. He worked another six years for his sustenance to get some money. So Yaakov Vida was willing to, for, to sacrifice the here and now for the future. He was Yaakov, the end person, which we're going to talk about, the end person. And what happens is he sent gifts to Esau. He pulls the, 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 the dog bites here. He wakes up Esau. And he gets the message from these messengers. Behold, we came to your brother Esau. He's heading towards you. And he has 400 men with him. Oh, boy. <laughs> 400 men in those days was an army. Esau is coming. Not by himself, not with his kids. He's coming with 400 men, and these are not just regular men. These are armed warriors, and Jacob becomes very frightened. He was very terrified. It distressed him. He divides his people with him, and the cattle and the birds and the herds and the cattle into two camps. He splits his camp into two parts, and he says, if Esau comes to one camp and hits it and strikes it down, at least one camp will survive. Then Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Hashem who is with me, 
return to your land and to your relatives and I will do good for you, you said Hashem. I am, I'm too small. I don't feel like I deserve it. But with my staff, I crossed the Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Yes, you rewarded me. You made me true. Tremendous wealth. You gave me two camps. But please, rescue me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. I fear him. He's going to come and strike me down. Mother and children, you said, I will do good for you. I'll make your offspring the sand of the sea, which is too numerous to count. So Yaakov Avinu is getting scared. Now Yaakov Avinu has, as we're going to see, he has uh, some way of dealing with troubles. You know what Yaakov's way of dealing with troubles was? And the answer was, every time he's in trouble, he runs away. Yaakov runs away from trouble. He ran away from his brother the first time. Well, he was sent away by his parents. They knew what's going to happen to Yaakov. And number two is with Lavan also. He didn't tell Lavan he was leaving. He took off without telling Lavan. That was Lavan's main argument. Why you leave? You didn't even let me know. I would have kissed my grandchildren, give them saying goodbye to my daughters, my grandchildren. Yaakov never wanted to get involved with anyone. He wanted to just take off quietly, run away. So now think about it. Asaph's coming with 400 men. Hashem promises Yaakov that he's going to be okay. And Yaakov says to himself, I don't think it's going to be okay. I don't have the merits for Hashem to help me. So anyway, let's, so let's just go back a little bit. Let's generalize, spiritually generalize from a spiritual perspective and say there are three basic categories of people. There's a person who's very spiritual, always pursuing spiritual knowledge and the service of Hashem. And you see these people, they, they spend their time in the yeshiva all, all, the, all their lives. They're learning Torah all their lives. They're praying all their lives. They're busy learning and teaching. Number two is a person with a very materialistic bent. It's the total opposite. All they think about is this world, their stocks, their bonds, their savings, whatever it is. And this world, this world, this world. The car I'm going to drive, the house I'm going to build, the kitchen I'm going to build, this and that. All they think about all day is a physical comfort and pleasure. And then you have the third one. And that is a person who combines them both. Torah in Derech Eretz. The Mishnah says, It's very important to have Torah and Derech Eretz. You need the physical and the spiritual. Now, it's interesting. Let's see. Yaakov and Binu were twins from the same parents. Extremely different in looks, character, and temperament. And the names we talked about, Esav is a here and now person. I want this world, and Yaakov wants the next world. Yaakov is ready to, to sacrifice. And what happens is very interesting. Because when Esav sees Yaakov with all his children and his wives and all his possessions, he says, Whose are these, Yaakov? Whose possessions are these, Yaakov? Whose wives and whose children are these, Yaakov? And Yaakov says, they're mine. Hashem blessed me. Hashem gave me these possessions. Hashem gave And Esau can't believe it. So what's the big problem? Why can't Esau believe these things belong to Yaakov? Because Esau knew that Yaakov's a spiritual person. He always knew Yaakov is a person who's willing to sacrifice this world for the next world. He says, what are you doing with physical possessions? What are you doing with a wife and children? You know, there's an inter- interesting, it's a religion today, which is 2,000 years old. That says a priest or a high priest or their pope, or whatever, cannot get married and have children. This was a self perspective. If you want to be spiritual, you have to go all the way. You have to renounce the physical world. And that's what Asaph thought. This is, came from Asaph. This idea came from Asaph. You have to be a monk in a monastery to be spiritual. And therefore, he sees Yaakov with children, he sees Yaakov with possessions. He doesn't know the big secret, and that is Judaism is. 
a multi-world religion. It's not just a one-world religion. We don't just believe in Allah, but we, live, we don't just live for the next world. We live for this world and the next world. We want to fix this world and get the next world, get to the next world. And by fixing this world, by using this world for good, we get to the next world. We have both. We have, we have to synchronize these, both these things. Wealth is not something to be frowned on. In fact, poverty is something to be frowned on. That's Judaism says. A poor man is like a dead man. Why? There's no money to eat. He's got to beg. He's got to run around. It's very embarrassing. It's like, it's death itself. It's like, you know, you got to beg. You got to shame yourself. You embarrass yourself. That's death. That's being embarrassed. That's, being embarrassed by other people is shame and, and disgrace and uh, death is kind of death in this world. Walking around, walking dead. So riches are very important. Physical wealth is very important. Why? Yaakov was, was willing to sacrifice six years of his life working for wealth. Why? Because Ein Kemach in Torah, the rabbis do, it says in Pekahor, there's no flower that cannot be Torah study. If you don't have a means of making a living, you cannot make a living you can't learn Torah. You have no peace of mind. You know, it says Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam, one of the great, the grandson of Rashi, who's very famous. He's all over the Tosfot, the whole Talmud by heart, and all the arguments and debates. And, uh, and Rabbeinu Tam, he says, when he learned Torah, he put four gold coins on the table. Why? He says, I have peace of mind. I have gold coins on the table. I can support myself. I have time, and I can devote my mind now to learning Torah peace of mind. It's very important. To have that physical background that someone is there, there's money there, there's money on the table. I can earn my living and now I can learn Torah and peace and quiet and peace of mind. That's very important. You can't learn Torah without peace of mind. Because always thinking about, well, money, money, I, I need money. I'm rolling my debts over. That's what people do. They roll their debts over. And I had a, had a rabbi when I was in England. He says, the person who's in Kolel and can't afford it, he loses both worlds. Why? Because this world he doesn't have, doesn't have money. Next world he doesn't have. Why? Because when he meant to learn Torah, he's busy thinking about making a living. So he's not learning Torah properly. And that's, you know, we have to, you know, both should be blessed. We should be, all be blessed. We can have this world and the next world. There's rather sure one of these physical worries. And we can devote our energies to learning Torah and studying and teaching and, and being good, better people. We're bettering ourselves. All of us should better ourselves. Shem should bless us in both these aspects. So it's interesting that. Esau can't believe this. He's never heard. Yaakov, you became wealthy, but you're not into this. What do you do with money? What do you do with kids? You're not into this world. And he doesn't realize. This is a very important idea. This is Judaism. Judaism is to bring, synthesize, that's the word. Synthesize this world, the next world. Torah in Derech Eretz. Those are going to synthesize both worlds. We want children and, and marriage and, and all the good things this world has to offer. And well, the next world as well. And you know what? If you're successful in this world and not succumbing to the physical, what happens is priorities. Priorities in life. Again, this is one of the things Yaakov taught his children. The priority should be spiritual. But sometimes you've got to use that physical world to get to the spiritual. That's the, that's the dream of the ladder, right? That's exactly what the ladder is telling us. The ladder to heaven, it was fixed on the ground. Why is it fixed on the ground? Because you have to be grounded to be able to climb the ladder. We need the physical world. We need the benefits of this physical world. We have to climb the spiritual ladder. And all these things are part of spirituality. A person gets married with this idea, I'm going to serve God through marriage. I'm going to, I'm going to love my wife so I can love Hashem. If I don't know how to love other people, I can't love Hashem. If I can't have kids, I won't know what to, how to give because a person has to be a giver to serve Hashem. And all these things, all these good things are physical 
which lead to the spiritual. These are rungs on our spiritual ladder. The physical things can be used as rungs to spiritual ladder. There's something is I've never knew. And most, a lot of people don't know. People don't know you can synthesize the physical and spiritual. That is what Judaism is all about. Synthesizing. Eating the food and saying a bracha. Getting married and saying seven brachot. <laughs> having children and, and yeah, and, and saying a bracha, having a kiddush on the children. Yes, all these things are mitzvot. All these are big mitzvot. These are big time mitzvot. Building a household is big mitzvot. So Yaakov is no secret. That's what Esau thought. Yaakov is Ishtam, Yeshevolim. He's a simple guy. He listens to sits in a tent all day. He's very spiritual. He doesn't go out. Wrong. Yaakov knew when to be spiritual and when to be physical. And the physicality was used as a ladder to climb to spirituality. Very, very important idea. The story of the sale of the birthright takes place at an early age in their life. They were 15 years old. And that led to their priorities in life. So Yaakov was, was a, a very practical person. He worked hard for his father-in-law in order to get married and have family. This idea of combining the physical and spiritual is summed up by the rabbis in the Talmud. If there's no flower, there's no Torah. We need both. If there's no means to eat, you can't learn Torah. The person needs to have both. We need to have both. Torah and Derek Eretz. If there's no spirituality, then there's no purpose to all this physicality. The person has to have both. We need the physicality and the spirituality. Okay, now we come to this very enigmatic story of this angel and who is this angel? By the way, the Torah over here does not say it to me. Torah says, Yaakov is left alone. Now, this is very strange because he goes to bed, he goes to sleep. Right? It says he goes to sleep and he spent the night in the camp, he went to sleep, and then he got up in the middle of the night. Right? But he got up that night and took his two wives and his two um, maids and his 11 sons, and he crossed the river. He crossed the river, the Jemaah book. And he, he, when, when he took them and had them cross over the river, he sent over all his possessions. All of a sudden, he's left alone in the middle of the night. And the Torah says, It says, A man wrestled with him until the break of the dawn. And when he perceived that he could not overcome Yaakov, he struck the socket of his hip. So Yaakov's hip socket was dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, ah, the angel, the, whatever, the man says, let me go. This is why, how we know it's an angel. Dawn has broken. And Yaakov says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now, you don't ask a regular guy to bless you, right? You fight with this guy. <laughs> Can you imagine? You get attacked in the middle of the night by a stranger and you fight him all night and, and the guy says, I need to go, I need to go. He says, dawn. And, and you tell the stranger, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You know, what kind of, you know. So obviously Yaakov knew this is not a regular person. This is someone who has the power to bless. This must be a spiritual person. If it's not an angel, it must be a spiritual person. And uh, the, the angel asks Yaakov, he says, what is your name? He says, my name is Yaakov. He says, your name will not be Yaakov anymore. Your name will be Israel. You have you have fought with divine and with man and have overcome. That's what Israel means. You fought with man and divine. You fought with angels. You fought with Hashem in a sense. And you overcome. And he blessed him over there. And Yaakov says, he called the name of the place Peniel. I have seen the divine face to face. And yet my life was spared. This amazing story in this 
It's amazing. This portends future events. This whole story it portends tremendous events. Because the Midrash says this is a story of our lives. This is a story of Israel. This is a story not just of Yaakov. Frank, this is a story of Israel in Galut. This is a story of Israel in exile. Why? That's the night. What does night symbolize? Night symbolizes the night of exile. That's, that's where we are. We're in the night of exile. All of us, even Israel, is a night of exile. Why? Because we're on a peace. It's an exile. It's, it's not a... The Mashiach has not come. We're not there yet. There's no temple. Exile. We're all in exile. Even in Israel, we're in exile in a sense. We're in exile, outside exile. It's still a kind of exile. It's a lower kind of exile. And he got he blessed Yaakov, he changed his name. That's very important. Israel. Now you now what does that mean? We have to discuss this. First of all, we have to discuss this. This has really happened. So Rambam is the most extreme. Rambam, the rationalist, Maimonides, Moshe Maimon, the author of the guide to the perplexed, says in the guide to the perplexed, you can't fight angels. You can't fight spiritual beings. Human beings can't fight angels, at least not physically. There's no way. Yaakov could fight an angel physically and overcome him. You can't fight angels. And Ramon says, this is a holy inner prophetic experience. In Yaakov's soul, projected through the medium of a dream. This is Yaakov having another vision. He leaves Israel. He has a vision of the, of the ladder. He comes back. He has a vision of a fight with an angel. This is the vision that Yaakov Avinu had. This is how Rambam explains many occurrences in the Torah where the angels came to Abraham and they ate in his tent. Rambam says it never happened. It's a vision Abraham Avinu had. This is all a vision. Rambam says the, the vision uh, Bilam fought with the uh, angel, saw an angel, and his donkey started speaking. All a vision. All these events were involved angels, Rambam says. Very important rule, Rambam says, any in event involving angels is a vision. You cannot see an angel unless you have a vision of an angel. It's a prophetic experience. And Yaakov says, I've seen God face to face. So this was not an ordinary mortal. It was not an ordinary uh, uh, fight. It was a fight in a vision. And this is a fight which is a prophecy of the future that we are going to fight a sub. Angel, and it's in the future we're going to fight. We're going to see how Esau is equated by the rabbis with the dome, which is Rome. And Rome uh, is a fight for you know, Rome they took an exile, us, they smashed our temple. We lost tremendous amounts of people, uh, maybe two thirds of our nation was killed more than in the Holocaust, even by the Romans. So people don't realize that there's a fight with Esau. We're going to talk about more. That's where Roman Catholicism came from. That's where Esau's philosophy of if you want to be spiritual, go with her way. Renounce this world. Don't get married. Don't have children. Renounce the world. Live as a monk in a monastery. That's Esau. That's Roman. That's, uh, that's Edom. So that's, that's Rambam. That's Rambam. And then we have a, a, a beautiful ideas over here. We have uh, Ramban. Rashi. Rashi brings down the Midrash. Rashi says it was the prince of Esau. What does that mean? The national genius and the national essence of Esau. Midrash says the wicked kingdom of Esau would wrestle, would wrestle with Israel through the night of exile. That's what it means. It's a symbol, as I mentioned, that Esau's going to fight with us through the night of exile. A lot of Jews will be destroyed. That's, the, that's how he dislocated his hip. That means a lot of Jews are going to be killed by Esau. So we see those, uh, the Germans are based on Esau's philosophy. Western civilization, pretty much. And the sun shining represents redemption. When the sun shines, Yaakov's hip is going to be healed as the sun shines. The second, uh, that's the second thing. So Rambam says vision. Rashi says it's a, it's a vision, but it actually happened, but it portends history, Jewish history with the Rome. 
And Ramban, Nachmanides says, was the angel of Esau. Awesome. That foretells the future generations. Now we come to a beautiful idea. This is one of my favorite ideas of Rashbam. As I mentioned before, when Yaakov had a propensity, when faced with danger and faced with troubles, Yaakov's propensity was run. Right? What are, what are the two instincts we have? To fight or flee. Fight or flee. What is it called? It's an interesting psychological, it's one of the psychological observations. Flee or fight. You run or you fight. So two options. So Yaakov would always choose fighting. Uh, I mean, flee. He would always run away. He ran away from Esau the first time. Ran away from Israel. He ran away from Laban. And now he wants this change of mind. He see, he hears this noise. Esau's coming 400 men. He goes to sleep and he wakes up in the middle of the night. He, t- he takes his wives and crosses the, the river with his, uh, his children. And now he's left alone. And he says, I'm getting out of here. Aesop's coming, I have no hope. He's coming from Remember, the army, I have no hope, I'm going to run. This is Rashbam. Rashbam was Rashi's grandson. Rabbi Shlomo ben Meir, Rashi's grandson, Rashbam. Beautiful, beautiful commentary on some of the Talmud. And he has a commentary on the, on the Torah, which is like a pshat, simple explanation of the, the Torah. And he says, Yaakov wanted to run from Aesop. Oh, boy. Can you imagine running away from Aesop? What's going to happen when you run away from Aesop? You think it's going to help you run away from Aesop? Hashem sends an angel. Wound him. Wound him. Make sure he's not going to run away again. Make sure Yaakov is not going to run away again. Yaakov is not allowed to run away. Hashem says, Yaakov, I'm not going to let you run away again. You have to face, you have to learn to face your troubles head on. That's interesting. Because this is not just a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. I mentioned now, if you say, according to Rambam, is, is a vision. There's a vision in the night. What's the spiritual battle in the vision? What's it telling us? And the answer is, who is Yaakov fighting? He's fighting the spiritual being who is his alter ego. It's Yetzer Harara. He's fighting his ego inclination. What's the fight about? Okay, now let's go back to Jewish prayer. Jewish prayer is that. that. The standing up prayer, the, the 18 blessings today, 19 blessings today. Three times a day, every Jew should pray Shacharit Mincharavit, which is the uh, first letters of Shema, Shacharit Mincharavit, or Ashkenaz Zimarif. And in the Amida, we start off, Our God, Elokeinu. Our God. A personal God. He's our God. He's God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the Baal Shem Tov says a beautiful idea. He says, ideally, we shouldn't need to depend on our forefathers. We shouldn't need to say, you know, the God of our forefathers, you know, they have personal relations with you. Each one of us should have to say, Elokeinu, Hashem, you're our God. You're our personal God, Hashem. We believe in you. We can relate to you. We can have a conversation with you every single day. We're thinking about you all the time, Hashem. You're our God, Elokeinu. And, and start praying from there. But why don't we? Why do we carry on? Father's got to be Abraham, and he says the secret is in this week's parasha. So there are two complementary aspects to our faith: the faith of humans and the Creator. While some people seek personal revelation, others are taught belief in God by their parents. So Amida starts with both these concepts. Elokeinu, if you are the one who feels like I have a personal relationship with God. Elokeinu is your God. And that's what we have to try and aspire to, is our God. But we don't have that personal relationship. 
He's God of our fathers. He's God of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. He's the God that my parents taught me about. He's the God of tradition. He's the God of Jewish history. He's our God. He's our God. The God of our parents. So Baal Shem Tov says, the personal aspect is the first one mentioned in prayer. Since it's the most preferable and of greater benefit for one to expend by him or herself. The effort necessary to reveal Hashem and develop a personal relationship with Hashem. That's what we all have to strive for. That's the highest level. Highest level. You're our God. You're our personal God. We have a relationship with you, Hashem. Every day we have to talk to Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Why do you do this, Hashem? Talk to Hashem. Talk to Hashem. Thank Him. Ask Him. What? Everything you need. Ask God. Ask God. And keep pestering Him and have a relationship. That's how you build relationships. You build relationships. You give and take. You do for Him and you, and you get for Him. So that is a very important to have this personal relationship. One who has not attained such a high level is still required to worship the God of his fathers, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. And the process is progressing from a belief in the God of one's fathers to into life. Then to realize that it's also a personal revelation. If you can't get to the personal relationship first, get through our fathers, through our roots, and then get the personal revelation, what happened, and this is what happens to Yaakov. Torah records. Yaakov's first vision of Hashem is a dream of the ladder. That's the first vision he has of God. That's recorded. Hashem identifies himself, listen to this, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Yitzhak. Hashem does not identify himself as your God, Yaakov. I'm your God. Hashem says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. I'm the God of Yitzhak. He doesn't say, I'm the God of you, Yaakov. Why? Because Yaakov did not consider God as a personal revelation yet. He didn't have this personal relationship yet. He had a relationship through his father, through his grandfather. He didn't have a relationship through his, himself. Yaakov's reaction is, Hashem is in this place. I didn't know. He's saying he has not yet achieved the level of personal revelation. I didn't know. I didn't know Hashem was in this place. He said, let Hashem be my God. He's striving for a personal experience with Hashem. A personal experience with Hashem. However, the first step is to recognize the God of one's ancestors. That's what Yaakov had. Yaakov at the, at the ladder had this personal relationship through, with God, not through himself, but through his forefathers. He didn't have a personal relationship per se through himself. When Yaakov leaves Lavari, prays, the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Yitzhak. He doesn't mention his own personal God. Again, he didn't reach that level yet. Only after he succeeds in defeating this angel or whatever it was, was Yaakov able to achieve revelation that he had aspired to. He says, I've seen Hashem face to face. He calls the name of the place. And he yelled, I saw God's name face to face. This is not a dream. This is a clear vision. From this time on, he says, he can refer to Hashem as the God who responds to me on the day of my distress. He's my God. He responds to me personally, not just through my forefathers. He's the God. He's my God. He's, the, he's, he's my own personal God. I can relate to him as my God as well. We have to call out to God today, especially. Now, times of trouble, he's our God. You have to realize. All of his rest have realize. There's a God in heaven. He's our God. We call out to him any time. He's our personal God. That's what we learned from Yaakov and Yitzhi Parasha. He has this fight with the angel, whoever it is. His own alter ego, this evil inclination, this Esau, this... Uh, they call it Malachamave, whatever it was, is the fight is belief. Is he my God? Is he God of my fathers? How distant is God from me? And then he realized at this fight, he's my God. He's my personal God. I can relate to him now. He's my personal God. 
I have seen Hashem face to face. There's a clear vision. Now we can refer to God as Hashem who responds to me on the day of my distress. You know, you know. <laughs> one of my in-laws, my, my, my brother-in-law, had him over last night. Very nice, Baruch Hashem. And uh, he's, he's a rabbi in the army. He was called up 45 days in Bedouin's reserve. Uh, duty, he says he got a shock. Why? He, was, he goes to different places in the army to give shuri, right? And he goes to this base, and everyone's wearing seat. Everyone is wearing seat, but there's no kippah. No, a single person wearing kippah, but they're all wearing a talikata, they're wearing seat. There was a seat hanging out. So he couldn't believe his eyes. He says, people are donating. You know, one of us is, uh, our, one of our friends right here, donating lots of ma- large amounts of seat to the army. The guy in my shield who's just who's tied. <laughs> he spends three, four hours at night volunteering to time to see off. So here we have groups of people making CCO for the army, and then people are just the most secular soldiers are wearing these CCO. And it's saving lives. I have stories that it saved lives, and I'm not gonna go into it right now, but it's interesting how people are realizing what can save me is not my ammunition, not my of course, we need that as well. We need the guns and we need the weapons. But you know what? The, we need the succeed. We need the God's intervention. And I just heard that even the Bedouin soldiers started copying. <laughs> the Bedouin soldiers, who are not even Jewish, started wearing the succeed because they realized they also need God's help. We all need God's help. We all do. And this is what Yaakov is saying. Now I realize that's what God face to face. It takes a vision sometimes to realize God is in our lives. God is involved with us. So now we can speak to God on a first person basis. <coughs> Hashem responds to me on the, my day of distress, Yaakovina says. And later on, he builds an altar. He builds an altar where he saw the vision of the, of the ladder later on in Parasha. Now he's internalized his faith. It's possible to write. Yaakov arrived whole in the city of Shechem. Later on, the Torah says he arrived whole. What does that mean? He's whole physically and spiritually. Now he can dedicate an altar to the God of Israel. His God, his personal God. Now he's Israel. That's when his name changed to Israel. He fought with the angel. He fought with himself. He fought with his Yitzhak. He fought with his faith, his belief system. It's not just the God of my fathers. It's my personal God. This is where we have to get to. We all have to get to in our lives. It's our personal God. Things are happening all around us. And we don't know what's going on. But we have this faith. He's my God. He's my personal God. He's going to help me. This is what saved Yaakov, and it's going to save us as well. It's rather true. We'll all be successful. And he dedicates all to the God of Israel. That's just his name. Not just the God of Abraham or Isaac. His own personal God. Beautiful, beautiful idea. This amazing idea we have to get to. Okay. Let's just move on. So we said now, Yaakov is the most successful educator in history. The most successful educator in Jewish history, at least. All his children, Baruch Hashem, all his children... Twelve tribes, very successful. One daughter, all successful. They kept their Judaism alive. They tell him, Shema Israel, listen to Israel. You are named in Israel. We're all your children. We all believe this is our God and God is one. We believe in the unity of God. This point is, Yaakov is the most human of the patriarchs. It's interesting. Why is he the most human of the patriarchs? He's someone which we can identify because he has his feelings. And he has this debate, is it my God, not my God? I believe in the God through my traditions, through my fathers, 
but I can't relate to him on a personal level. We can we can empathize with that. We can we can express that. We can we can feel his fear. We can understand his pain, the tension in his family. We can sympathize with his longing for a life of quietude. Next week's parasha by Yeshiv Yaakov, Rashi says he wanted to dwell in peace and security and just dwells quietly. He loved to dwell in peace. He wants that. We want that as well. But his life is full of troubles, like our lives. Our lives. The point is not just that Yaakov is the most human of the patriarchs, rather the depths of his despair. Listen to this. At the depths of his despair, he is lifted to the greatest heights of spirituality. This is what we have to aim for. In the depths of our despair, we have to be lifted to the heights of spirituality. He is the man who encounters angels. He is the man surprised by Hashem. He is the one who at the very moment he feels most alone, he finds out he's accompanied by Hashem and angels. Yaakov's message defines our experience. It is our destiny to travel. Travel. We are the restless people, Jews are always traveling, whether in Israel, outside Israel, we're traveling and traveling all the time. Jews are restless. Rare and brief have been our interviews of peace, but at the dark of the night, we have found ourselves lifted by a force of faith we did not know we had. By angels, we did not know that were there. If we walk in the way of Yaakov, we too may be surprised by Hashem. So let's see, what did he do? What, how did he educate his children? And the answer is he taught his children the, the best possible way to teach is role modeling. Role modeling. He was their example. Number one is in Lavan, Garti says in this week's parasha, he tells Esau, I dwelt with Lavan. Rashi says, in Lavan, Garti, even in the worst place, Tariag Mitzvot, Shamarti. Garti, Gimel Reish, Taf Yud. It's the same letters as the word Tariag. Tough rate, you'd gimel, which is 613 in Gematria. I live with Lavan in the worst places, spiritual places, the disbelievers, the idolaters, and keep the mitzvot. Role model. We can live anywhere in the world and keep mitzvot. Now, what do our children learn from there? They can live anywhere and keep mitzvot. My father lived in the worst places. He moved here, he moved there, and he kept mitzvot. That's a very important role model. That's right there. Boom, number one. Number two. He had a large family. That's a value. He's teaching his children values. Values are, you have lots of kids. Big value, very important value that we're losing today because people don't want lots of kids. But it's very important. Survival, survival, Jewish survival, lots of kids. He had a large family. Number three is he worked hard. He worked really hard for 20 years to support his family. This is a very important work ethic, a role modeling, a work ethic that the rabbi stressed. 20 years he gave of his life to work for his family, 14 years to find his wife, six years to get enough money to live on. Number four, he made peace with his brothers. Well, his brother, the, the worst brother to make peace with, he went out of his way, a great pain to himself, a great suffering to himself. He gave a lot of money to his brother and he made peace with his brother. That is a very important value to make peace in the family. At great expense, at great certain efforts, he made peace with his brother. Number five, this is what we ended off with. He grew his faith in God. They saw their father grow spiritually. Therefore, their father, before it was just tradition, God of Abraham, God of Isaac. And then they hear God of my God. That's, wow, that's a whopper. We can teach our children. You can't not just reach God through me. 
can reach God through yourselves. You've got to find God. You've got to find your own. Make him. Make Hashem your personal God in our times of trouble. That's interesting. Because I just want to finish off with this. This little note, side note, but it's really a, a major note today. And that is nearly every parasha we've been reading about, about the forefathers involved some kind of prisoner situation, hostage situation. Interesting. Sarah was taken hostage by Pharaoh. Sarah was taken hostage by Abimelech. Lot was taken hostage by the four kings we talked about. And here in our parasha, we have Dina. Poor little Dina. Pure, sweet Jewish girl. Taken hostage by Shechem ben Hamor. A terrible personality. Can imagine taking advantage of this little girl. And seducing this girl. Taking her into his house and raping this girl backwards and forwards. And yeah, like nothing. This is some things which you know repeated in our day today. We're seeing today. And Shimon and Levi go mad, yeah, but oh, another war. It's a war. It's a war to redeem captives. We have to understand that. The, the Torah is predicting the situation today. Is that we read these events and we have to put them in perspective and try and say, what can we learn from this today? Now, what's interesting is there's a very fine balance in the parasha. The two major instigators of the fight with Shechem were the two brothers of Dina, the sons of Leah. Shimon and Levi, they had bad tempers, whatever it was. And they fought, they went. I'm not going to go into details, but that's just something. And then the, Yaakov is not so keen on, on war. So we have this balance now. And that's something which we also have to weigh today as well. How far do you go? Obviously, we need to do something. How far do you go? How far do you not go? This is something which we have to weigh anyway. There's rather Shem Hashem should bless us. Like he blessed our forefathers. And he should bless us in our own right. There's rather Shem. We all merit to be blessed. And not run away and face the reality and, and try and overcome just like Yaakov, you know, our forefather. Stay here in Eretz Israel. We have to learn one thing. Eretz Israel is worth fighting for. A lot of people have lost their lives and we're giving our lives for Eretz Israel, our blood for Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel is a big value in Judaism. It's one of the central values. We have to understand that we should all, we should all come back to Zion in mercy. show mercy to us, all of Israel. Get back the hostages well, sound. And we're looking forward to the miracle of Hanukkah next week and we'll have a class. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.